0: The first few verses here, and then after I read, I'm going to pray, and then to open things up, uh, one of uh, the members of this church, Kiko Santiago, is going to share how God has met him and changed his life. So Exodus chapter 3, and we'll do verses 1 through 12. The word of God goes this way. Why the bush is not burning? And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Don't come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, or to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So now he talks directly to Moses, says, come. Gives him a command. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel out of Egypt. Then Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, God said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this very mountain. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I ask that in these moments you would just give us eyes to see and ears to hear. That we would, it's so tempting to think we've kind of got things together or it's so tempting on the reverse end to be so overwhelmed by circumstances we can't think about anything else. And I just ask that you would come right now And I ask that you would quiet the anxious heart. I ask that you would open up the heart that has previously been hardened to your word. I ask that you would draw near to the sad and the lonely. And that God, in these very moments, you would show off your power. And you would encourage us with your presence. I believe you are real. I believe you are true. I believe you are with us. And this is your precious word. So teach us. Teach us, I pray. And make us humble enough to be so shocked by your love that we walk towards you and not away from you. We plead for that kind of help. And we ask that you would minister to us now. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Good morning. I was asked to tell the story about the day that God revealed to me that I was part of his family. Looking back now on the last 39 years, I can easily pick out so many moments when he led my steps. And to be honest, my salvation is a 100% work of grace on his part. I've been on my own since about 16, so I grew up very dependent on myself. As I think back, God provided people to push me along the road at just the right time. And only by his mercy, I never met the fate of so many others around me. At 18, I started working as a plumber, and that really started me down a road of routine and responsibility. At 20, I met Lily and our two kids, and they started me on a road of family, being a provider and a leader. I've always been a hard worker, loyal and very stubborn. Too old for my years, many people would say. I was never one to be absorbed into anyone else's world. I did things my way, but Lily and the kids were always welcome to come along. I was cold on the outside, even though inwardly I was soft. How she ever fell in love with me is anyone's guess. On a softer note, I've always been a dreamer, and Lily is very much the same. Neither of us was ever scared to go anywhere. We would always say, what's the worst that could happen? We would pick up and move to places that most people would just go on vacations to. But that required a lot of starting over. One Christmas, my son gave me a Bible. That was in 2006. For two years, I read it off and on, and mostly, it was just good stories to me. In 2008, we had just moved to Raleigh from Hawaii, and we were once again starting over. The older you get, the less interesting it gets, and let's be honest, we were moving to Raleigh from Hawaii. (laughs) Anyway, Lily was not very happy with me, and as usual, my very rigid way of seeing things made it worse. Strange thing was that when we moved here, I started having this dream. It was always the same. I was floating in space. I would bounce from star to star, and the more I floated, the more stars I saw. And no matter how long I floated, the stars never ended. When I woke up, I started to think about forever. I would lay in bed at night, and I would think about how long is eternity. And honestly, it scared me. Soon after, I came home from work, There was tension between Lily and me, so I went into the bathroom and started to read the Bible. I would be lying if I said exactly what verse, but it was a story with David and Samuel somewhere. Out of the blue, it was like I was stabbed straight in the chest. All my hair stood up, and I quietly said, God, help me. The next thing I remember is being balled up on the floor, crying like I have never cried, and laughing, saying, thank you, thank you. I was overcome with peace and joy. I felt new. Every single care was gone. I felt free. I was forgiven. When I went in that room, I didn't know God. And now not only did I know him, but I love him. I remember smiling for the first time since I was a child. I didn't care to wear a mask anymore. I was free. I walked out of that room, down the hall, into the kitchen, and I said to my son, I think I just became a Christian. And he said to me, that's nice. (laughs) Reality check. Just because I was brand new, there was no magic wand. I'm all happy and full of joy, but 10 minutes ago, I was the root of the problem. For the next three weeks after work, I would come home and go straight into my office until bed. I read through the entire Bible. The devil tried a lot of attacks during that time but God is so much stronger. After about a month, we all started to go to church, and about a year later, Lily and I both were baptized, Lily for the second time. Nothing has ever been the same since the day I met Jesus. The 139th Psalm is like the story of my life, and all I can say is thank you.
0: Just to be crystal clear, God doesn't only work in the times that we read about in the scriptures, he's at work today. And if we had a chance to tell story after story, there'd be tons of stories in this room about how God and his kindness met us where we were, not telling us to clean ourselves up first, but meeting us where we were in our brokenness, in our mess, and saying, I'm enough for you, I'm enough for you. And so we come into this series and we just ask that God would show us his power to change lives, not only in the pages of scripture, but right here, right now. And so we're gonna dive into this story. Story that's a true story, for the Bible isn't filled with make believe stories. It's filled with real people, real history, and a real God who changes lives. And so, as we look, we're going to look at Moses. And we're going to celebrate the fact that when Moses encountered the living God, he was forever changed. He was never the same. However, I take a lot of comfort from Moses' story. Because Moses didn't just have one encounter, and he was like Mr. Perfect. Moses had an encounter, and then his faith had to grow. He was a work in progress, so to speak. I need that message. And we begin to see that when Moses encountered the living God, we see three aspects of his faith. One is we see when his faith begins. We see Moses' beginning faith. And what characterizes beginning faith? Two, we began to see Moses' growing faith and what was necessary to grow his faith and what was necessary to keep his faith growing. And three, we began to see Moses' desperately persistent faith. He began to see acutely how desperate he really was and he per- persisted that God would continue to be near to him, and as a result, he was forever changed. And so, I want to highlight. There's basically three things that these different, or one thing that each one of these um, expressions of faith asks. So, let's look at them real quickly. Beginning faith asks this. Beginning faith asks, "Who am I?" It asks the identity question, and we'll hear Moses ask that in a second. Growing faith begins to ask, "Where are you, God?" All kinds of things are hard. Where are you? I need to see your power. Show me your power. And then this desperately persistent faith is characterized by just a consistent asking of God, but it has a different tone to its asking. The main prayer is God, show me not only your power, but show me your glory. So let's dive in. Number one, beginning faith asks, who am I? It asks an identity question. And that's where we dive in to the story in Exodus 3. Let's catch up to speed. Moses adopted into an Egyptian family, and things were going well. He gets angry. He kills a man, ends up running away and hiding in a land of Midian. And it's while he's in Midian that God meets him. And what is pretty much a famous story, whether you've really encountered... um, the church or the Bible much at all, you might have heard of the story of the burning bush. And so God comes to him speaking through a bush that is burning and yet not consumed. I mean, that, that probably would make you want to wet your pants. You know, it's like, okay, what in the world is happening? This thing is not scorching up. It's just burning. And now a voice is coming at me. Okay. And so Moses is there and when he sees this, he, he wants his gaze to go there, so he's like, wow, and God stops him. And he says, you need to first know who you're dealing with. And this is where faith begins. Faith begins by understanding he alone is God and we are not. There is a difference. There's one who's spoken the universe into being and everything that you can see comes from his words. He speaks it into being. And then there's you and I. We don't, we don't have that kind of power. We can't create out of nothing. We're desperate people. We're hurting people. We need sleep. He does not. We lack things, he does not. We get weak, he never does. Even young people grow tired and weary, he doesn't get tired. He is God, we are not. He wants Moses to be crystal clear who he's dealing with and look at what he says. Verse five, chapter three, don't come near to me. Take off your sandals because you are on holy ground. Right where you're standing is holy because I am there. And then God tells him who's speaking to him. I am, it says in verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moses caught that clue, he hid his face in terror. God is holy. He is distinct. He is different. He's not just a chum on the street creator of the universe. But why did he describe himself this way? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because our God is not a removed God. He's not holy and distinct and stays away. He draws near and he wants a relationship with you and I. Yes, with sinful people. That's the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Train wrecks of a life that God invades, grants faith, and does amazing works. When God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is saying to Moses in that moment, I was faithful to Abraham. I was faithful to Isaac. I was faithful to Jacob. I always kept my word. That's who I was. That's who I am. I have no beginning. I have no end. This is kind of goodness and faithfulness will not expire. This is who I am right now before you. I'm faithful. You can trust me. And then he goes on to do something that's just remarkably beautiful. He says, I have seen your pain and I know your suffering. Look at the next verse, verse seven. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. So you get the picture, right? They're going through all of this pain. They are slaves to the Egyptians. The Egyptians are whipping them, killing friends and family, and it can seem as if God is absent. He says, I have seen their suffering, ultimately saying, I have not been absent. Listen to what he says. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. I know it. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He's going to deliver them. And what he wants Moses to see this is the next step of beginning faith. You not only become starkly aware that you are sinful and he is not, you are lacking and he is not, you become aware now of who this God is. He is faithful, he is loving. He is compassionate, and there is no clearer place than at the cross of Jesus Christ that you can see all of this unfold. He says, and this is right, we deserve to be punished for our indifference to God, our cavalier attitude to God, for breaking the commandments that he's giving us, and for placing everything else above him and using him kind of like a Coke machine. When I need you, I'll put some coins in, and hopefully you'll come out and give me what I need. And when you don't, I'll be upset at you. This is how we treat him. And yet, rather than giving what our sins deserve, he says, I love you so much that I will give my one and only son to die in your place, to take the punishment that you deserve to have upon you, I will take it upon myself. My son will take it for you so that then if you trust in him, you might have forgiveness. You might be set free. You might be made new. Faith begins when we realize our sin. Faith begins then when we begin to know our God and his love and what he has done for us. This is where faith begins. Now, Moses is then told to do something about it. He's seen his difference. He's now seen God, and now God is saying, okay, it's time to take your first step of obedience. We've all got these moments. God is asking you, for some of you, he is asking you in this very moment right now to surrender your heart wholly to God. You're not gonna know all the future. You're not gonna know all the details and what that means, but he is asking you in this moment to surrender your life to him. For others of you, you've done that. He's asking you to surrender your circumstances to him. Some of you, he's asking you to surrender your job to him, to trust him in it, to trust him with your finances, to trust him in your marriage, to trust him with your kids, to trust him in the needs that you have. He's asking you to trust him. And it's when people encounter the living God that he asked them to take a step. And here was Moses' step he was asked to take. Verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? It's taking basically one of the strongest rulers on the planet and saying, Moses, go. Go. Be like telling you or me to go, okay, let's go to Barack Obama, let's go to Vladimir Putin, and you tell him what to do, and he's going to listen to you. And you're like, me? Really? Who am I? We get the who am I question, right? It's a sense of insecurity. It's a sense of inadequacy. I get that feeling when people start talking computer programming. There's some areas that I feel competent in, and then there's some areas that I really don't. And when people begin to talk about computer languages and computer programming, I feel less than a kindergartner. I feel like, okay, I have zero idea of what you're talking about. You know, So if any of you are like massively intelligent computer programmers, I bless you. I believe God has a great purpose for your life, and you're probably thinking, hey, that guy's probably likely to get hacked really soon. But what I want you to know is I feel really... Kind of, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what to do. And there's a sense of inadequacy, sense of insecurity. That's where Moses was. Who am I? Who am I to be chosen for this task? We don't like to admit our insecurities. Why is that? Why is it when... We're working in an area, and someone calls what we do into question. We can snap at them. We can get defensive. Don't tell me what to do. Why is that? What's going on there? We're insecure. We're insecure. Our identity is wrapped up in what we can do. It's wrapped up in the grades we make. It's wrapped up in what we know. It's wrapped up in our image. It's wrapped up in something. And when people threaten that, everything begins to get shaky. I'm competent here. but Oh no, I might have done something wrong. I've got to cover that up. God has taken Moses on a journey here to help him to understand and hear this, where true freedom lies. True freedom rests not in proving to everyone that you are competent. True freedom rests in acknowledging your weaknesses and surrendering them to God. It's ironic. Security actually comes when you admit your weakness and not hide them. Freedom comes when you are honest and you admit your wrongs, you admit your struggles, and you ask God to show up and to move. And here's what's amazing. Look at the passage. How does God respond to Moses' inadequacy? Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go up to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God says this, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I've sent you, that you have brought the people out of Egypt and you worship God on this mountain. What does God not say in that moment? Moses, you're great. Look how good you are. You've done all these wonderful things. You're strong. I can really depend upon your arm strength. Your mind is brilliant. He says nothing about Moses' esteem. Nothing. Why is that? Why is that? What we need to be told is not how great we are, but how great God is. The crisis of our culture is not how highly we need to be esteemed ourselves, but how lowly we esteem the greatness of God. That's the crisis of our culture. We esteem Him too little, God is small. And therefore, the only way we get secure is to show how great we are. Well, that's gonna fall on its face. You're gonna fall on your face. I know I've done it. God knew what Moses needed. He did not need an esteemed pep talk. He needed to know someone that would be with him, that would overcome his weaknesses. He needed to see God. So if I was told, Sean, you are going to have to write a computer program that if you do not complete this task, the entire city of Raleigh is going to shut down and your church will be no more, whatever tragic thing I can think of right now. I would say, I can't do it. If you come back to me and say, oh, but you're a smart guy. You're so intelligent. You're gonna be fine. No, I'm not. It's going to be a train wreck. It's going to be horrible. But if you come to me and you say, I got the top 10 programmers, they're going to be with you the entire time. That's what I need. I need to know that someone is going to be stronger than my weakness. That's why the church is not meant to be a bunch of people who have everything together. And then as individuals, show their competency. But the church is a bunch of broken people who are needy, but who have been given gifts by a great God. But you don't have all the gifts, and neither do I. So I need you, and you need me, and we need one another. And ultimately, that shows off a beautiful, powerful, glorious God who works through his people. What Moses needed in his moment of insecurity and crisis was a picture of a great and mighty God. And so that's what we need. In order to take that first step of obedience, we just need to be reminded the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the one who was faithful there, there, and there, the God who was faithful with Moses, the God who's been faithful all the way to the cross, the God who was faithful to raise Jesus from the dead, is the God who is at work right now, in our city, in this room, through his word, to change lives, to grip hearts, to give purpose, to provide hope, and to give freedom where we've been so shackled by our insecurity and our unwillingness to admit that we are needy. And so, that's beginning faith. Beginning faith must admit We are different than God. We are sinful. We are weak. We need to acknowledge that God is everything we are not, and we need to trust in him and say, I don't have it all figured out, but I need you. I surrender my life to you. I need you to come and to fill me up. And then your faith begins to grow. Your faith begins to grow. Friends, when you take that step of obedience, it is the seedbed in which your lives begin to grow. But growth is not always easy. It's not always easy. For Moses, he was terrified of taking that step. He made excuse after excuse. I'm just not the right guy for the job. He's like, you know, how are they going to believe me? And God says, okay, take the staff that's in your hand, why don't you throw it down? It turns into a snake. Moses gets terrified and runs away from the snake. Then God says, you should pick up that snake. Moses is like, I don't think I'm going to like this plan, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm scared of you. So I grab the tail, and all of a sudden, the snake turns into a staff again. And then he says, why don't you put your hand in your, sh- in your coat? Okay, he does that. Pulls it out. His hand's got leprosy all over it. That's a problem, okay? God says, put your hand back in. Puts it back in, and now all of a sudden, he's healed. God's saying, I'm powerful over all the animals. I'm powerful over all the diseases. They're going to believe me, okay? It's about me. You're okay, Moses. Just go. Moses is just like, but what if I don't know how to say it right? And God says who made your mouth? Who made this thing? Moses is like, okay, that's probably you, and I should surrender my life to you. And then finally Moses just comes clean, and this is our story. Excuse, excuse, excuse. I'm not good enough. I'm not ready. Maybe after school, maybe after this relationship, maybe once I get financially secure, whatever, then I'll take this step. Excuse. Bottom line, Moses says, I just don't want to go. That's it. I just just really don't want to do this. And God says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you. Obey me. Follow me. And he says the same to us now. Our faith will grow. Not when you get secure. You get all your ducks in a row. When there's no other problems. If you're waiting for that, you're going to wait until death. You take the step. And he says, I'll be with you. And Moses goes. We end up seeing in Exodus chapter 4, verse 18, he takes that step and he goes and he's on his way to Egypt. And it's while he's gone to Egypt that we begin to see his faith grow. Now, you would think, right, God, I'm going to be Moses for a second, God, I took that first step of obedience. I did it. And then what happened? He goes to Pharaoh. He talks to Pharaoh, Exodus chapter 5, and Pharaoh says, it looks like you and your people got a little too much time on your hands if you're asking to pack up and to leave. I'm going to make things harder. I'm upping your quota, and the taskmasters are going to get harder on you. Moses is just like, I did that. I went, and things got what? They got worse. No thanks. That's not what Moses did. Moses kept going. Moses kept listening, and his faith began to blossom. I was reading this week. This is not a list you want to be on. It's in the USA today. Top fourteen worst fails economically for companies. <laughs> just like you don't want to be on this list, you know, and they were talking about Ford, how they put out this um, car that was just atrociously ugly and overexpensive, and they spent millions of dollars on it, and it didn't work. But I was reading one about Apple. And in 1983, Apple decided to create the Apple Lisa, okay? It's this, you can picture, 83, computer, you know, yay big, big box, way before, you know, iPhone, iPad success. They decided to create the Apple Lisa. Get this. They spent over $50 million in 83 for three years worth of development, and they launched it. However, the problem was that Apple Lisa was 10 grand to buy in 83, which is about 24 grand in today's market, and so the article said it was a little out of reach for most consumers. It was like, duh, you know, really, okay. And they ended up discontinuing it. Can you imagine? You just spent $50 million and three years of these people's lives for something that is now ranked as one of the top 14 worst epic economic fails. I mean, that's when you like want to quit and go home, right? It's just like, really? But because they didn't, because they kept going, their company has grown with some, some remarkable growth. And friends, this is how growth works. Growth is great, but it will not come without trial and difficulty. And God comes to Moses and he says, obey me. What you need is me. Your circumstances they are going to do this. Woo, 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 all over the place. But I'm consistent, and I'll be with you. So Moses goes. Things got hard, but his faith began to grow, and he began to see God's power at work. I mean, just the story of the Exodus is just so remarkable. Over, You got 10 signs and miracles that God does to show Pharaoh that he's got to let the people of uh, Israel go. You've got Moses that sees every one of these. You've got Moses that begins to take the people, now brings them out of the land of Egypt because Pharaoh lets them go. And here's what Moses says. Exodus 13, verse eight. He says this, or verse three. Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by my strong hand, the Lord brought you, by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from his place. Now, here's where Moses begins to go, and this is crucial for our growing faith. Moses needed to see God's power. A growing faith asks God, where are you? I need to see your power. It will come sometimes when you're waiting. It will come sometimes before you expect it. It will come other times at the very last moment. But when you take that step of obedience, God is going to grow your faith. He's going to do it. It's an opportunity. Just think, God is always at work. But one thing that Moses was taught, and one thing that Moses taught others, was that we must remember the faithfulness of God to us because we get amnesia easily. We forget. And so he says, Exodus 13, remember this day. Don't forget. I mean, they're like, we're getting ready. We're, we're, we're leaving Israel. How could we ever forget this day? And they do. They do. Moses then stands at the edge of the Red Sea and the people of Egypt are barreling down upon him. He is standing at the edge of the Red Sea and it looks as if they're about to die. The people of Israel start complaining and they say, is it because there's not enough graves back in Egypt that you brought us here to die? That'd be a leadership crisis if everybody's kind of saying, you blew it. You're standing at the edge of this massive sea and your enemy is within eyesight and they're not happy. They're ready to crush you. What do you do? Here's what Moses says. Exodus 14, 13 and 14. Moses says, fear not. See how his strength has grown? Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. Here's one of my favorite verses. It's hanging up in our bedroom. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Same concept of being still. You want to know what your role is? Your role is to watch the mighty, powerful work of God on your behalf. Be still. He fights for you. Even when you can't see it, take that step of obedience. He fights for you. And what happens? Moses rams the staff into the Red Sea. The water's split They go across, and then the enemies pursue. They get stuck in it, and they get judged, and the waters come over them, and they are delivered. And you would think, no way you're ever gonna forget that. And they do. They do. Faith grows when we begin to recount God's faithfulness. You know what Moses named his son? Moses named his son Eleazar, one of them. Do you know why? Because Eleazar means the God of my father was my help, and he delivered us from the sword of Pharaoh. It ultimately means God is my help. But he's saying I'm naming him God is my help because God has delivered me from my enemies. Why did he do that? Why did he name Eleazar? Like, was it on the top, you know, 100 name? on the baby list or whatnot, you know. You just kind of, oh, I want to create a new name. No, he chose it because he knew he forgets easy. And when he looks at his son, he wants to remember God is faithful. And friends, story after story, all throughout the book of Exodus, you see God showing up time and time again. And yet, whenever you see Israel's sin described, it says, They forgot the Lord. It's our story. We forget the Lord. We forget him. Our faith begins to shrink. Our confidence diminishes. Our courage lessens. Doubt creeps in. Our prayers stop or they begin to grow shallow and we begin to pray for all kinds of crazy motives. Our soul begins to shrivel and dissolve because we forget the Lord. And God says, Moses, if you're gonna shepherd these people, you need to tell them, Exodus 29, 45 and 46, you need to tell them, I will dwell among them, I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. Tell them I brought them. That's what he wants them to remember. Tell them I brought them. Tell them I've done faithful works. Tell them that I keep my word. Friends, we must, we must begin to recount the faithfulness of God. This week, I was struggling, and my wife and I were, we really were kind of struggling with uh, just being overwhelmed by circumstances, focusing on a few bad things, and I got a text, I got a text, and the text was overly joyful on our behalf. I was like, that's kind of odd because I'm not feeling overly joyful right now. The person texted and said, I have just seen God at work all over your life and even in circumstances. And they began to put together a string of things that they had seen over the past three to four months that in my moment of amnesia and Sean-centricness, I began to forget. And it was just this string of things that God had done in my life where he was faithful. And yes, there are a few hard things going on. We've all got them. But when those hard things come and they do this and we can't see anything, we need one another. We need God's word to remind us he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of Moses. He is the God of the early church. He is our God. He has saved. He will continue to save, and he is at work right now. We need to recount God's faithfulness. I began to think about this church. This church was birthed upon the backs of 4 years worth of prayer. When a woman was burdened to pray that a church would come out of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. That's how specific the prayer was. That a church would come out of And for 4 years there was a prayer. We were planning on planting a church in Knoxville, Tennessee. That's how well I know my plans. God does the redirect, God does the refocus. We end up landing here. Came out of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I lived there for 2 years. We started this church. God answered those prayers. 4 years. I didn't even know this woman. Still here at this church faithfully today. And then we go through some of the hardest economic times in our nation's history, and our church has never been in the red. That has zero to do with us as much as it has to do with God. I won't say zero, because there's faithfulness. But that just screams God's mercy, that people would sacrifice for the cause of his name going forth to the nations. We've planted over nine churches nationally and internationally. God's done that. That wasn't some ingenious scheme. It was like, God help us know how to love people. We saw almost 100 kids come to camp last year. We're praying for more. Kids from this immediate community. I remember we were resigned to lease the IMAX theater for years, which we were there for four years. We had just... Resigned to lease. We were never going to be able to afford anything. And I remember driving around and praying that God would show us something. And there was a sign on the front of this building that still said for sale. It had been off on the market for six years. And I call and they say, it's going to go back on the market tomorrow. Do you want to be on the top of the list? Who does that? That's God. Here was our giving campaign. We need $70,000 in three weeks. So this can't happen. We are 180 people. Where is that going to come from? People sacrificed. We raised $110,000 in three weeks. We were able to come in here. We were here for three weeks, and the YMCA lost a spot to do after-school tutoring, and they came to us, a prayer that we had been praying for four years, that God would use this building as a means of safety and to build community. They came to us three weeks in and said, we don't have any place to do our after-school tutoring. Can we do it here? Four years worth of praying. In three weeks, it happened. Can God take care of us? Can he provide? That's not just for one remote situation. He does that. And friends, we forget we need to be faithful to write down the markers of God in our lives. What he has done. Today might be your first marker. I remember the day that the Bible was opened and I understood it for the first time. And my heart began to leap when it never did before coldness began to grow into warmth. Today could be the day that you write down, God met me. Today could be the day that you write down, I was wallowing in my sadness, in my depression. There was no way out, and God set me free on that day. He set me free. He came to me. I was walking towards sin, and it was that day that God allowed his word to run through and to hit my heart so that I would not run my life over a cliff, but I would run right back towards Jesus. God hit me that day. But we've got to write them down. We've got to remember them, or we too will be just like Israel. We will forget. We will say something else is prettier. Something else is better. We'll go after it. And we're wondering why we will be so miserable. The psalmist says we must Psalm 145, one generation shall commend your works to another. This is our task. This is why we gather, to tell of God's faithfulness, not only to one another here, but for generations upon generations. That's why we do KTC back there, Kids Treasuring Christ. That's why we do that, is so that generation after generation can say, God is faithful. I've seen it. I've seen it my mama. God is faithful. Seen it. Seen it, my neighbor. God is faithful. We've got to recount the goodness of God. And when we do, we will grow. We will grow into a desperately persistent people. A desperately persistent people who say what Moses said in Exodus 33. And we're ending, I promise. But I want you to make sure that you understand our greatest need, and it's found here in Exodus 33. Exodus 33, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, this is right after the golden calf incident, right after what is marked as the greatest fail, epic fail of Israel, when they said, "Eh, I don't see God, so I'm going to make one for myself, and I'm going to bow down to this golden calf. And then the Lord said to Moses, okay, Moses, depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You hear this? You hear the echoes of where we were before? The land of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I was faithful then. I will continue to be faithful. And he says, Say to your offspring that I will give it, and I will send an angel before you, and I'll wipe out all those enemies that are in that land. Verse three, and go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And verse 4 says, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. They mourned. Is that really a disastrous word? Is it a disastrous word? Make sure you know what he said. You know that land you've been wanting, where there isn't slavery, where you will rule? I'm gonna give it to you. You know the land that's got all the food you need? I'm gonna give it to you. You know you've been wandering around for a while? I'm gonna give you the land. You're not gonna wander anymore. I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna give you all the things that I promised. Does that sound disastrous to you? It did to Moses. It did to Moses. Why? Why is that disaster? Moses says this. If I have everything that this earth could afford me and don't have you, God, I don't want anything. Look at it. Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, so you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I have found favor of your sight. Please show me now your ways that I may know you. You see the aim, his focus? I need to know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said, my presence will go with you. I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, In a persistent kind of way, if your presence will not go with me, don't take me. Don't give me all this stuff. If you're not going to go with me, I'm not going. Why? Because for Moses, the greatest thing that he could have was God's presence. Look at verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this is the very thing that I've spoken to you, I will do For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses says, well, then please, O God, show me your glory. That's the way desperation talks. And we have to ask at this moment, if you knew you can have all the cars you desired, the house you desired, The girls, the relationship, the money, no debt, the job, the kids, the health, the land, the food. You could have it all, but God wasn't going with you. Would you take that deal? Moses says, no deal, no way. I've learned a few things over the years, he says that if you don't go with me, I'm not going to go. My greatest need is not material possessions or health. My greatest need is you. Show me you. Show me your glory. Friends, this is how faith grows. Faith grows when we get more and more desperate and more and more persistent, and our call out to the living God is that he would show us himself he would give us more of him. That's why the hymn says, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Albert Einstein has a quote. He actually saw things fairly similarly. He said this, he who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. What's that mean? We must remember the art of being still before our great God and seeing him and knowing him and having relationship with him. And to the degree that we forget our God, we count him as secondary, we don't stop to wonder and recount his goodness, that will be the degree that our soul shrivels. And what once was life turns into death. Friends, I invite you. I invite you not into primarily law-keeping. I invite you into a relationship with a wonderful God, a God who says, sit and stare at trees. And stand amazed at me. Look at your family. Be thankful. Look at the bright side. Look at what I have done. And trust me for what's to come. Pause to wonder at me and recount me over and over for years to come. In that, your faith will grow, your joy will increase. You'll be set free because your greatest need is not to be secure in your performance, but to rest secure in his. Let's pray. Father, we need you. And I just ask that in this moment that we've had together, that you would take testimonies, your word, you would take this time that we've had, and you would draw near in power. Father, I pray that what the hymn writer says we would do, ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriends us. That's the promise of the good news of Jesus, that you, the God of the universe, befriend sinners simply by faith, by trusting, saying, I can't do it, I'm sinful, you are good, and I need to take that first step of surrender. So, Father, breathe life throughout this room that we would take that first step of surrender and trust you that with every step, you're going to grow us even more, and that will be for our good because you're showing us more and more of yourself. Father, thank you. Thank you for each and every person here. Touch them exactly where they are. Bring to mind over and over what needs to stick. And, Father, I pray you get the glory from our lives. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Just as a